Alright, welcome to the Sad Boys Book Club in this special Saturday edition, because I am lazy and decided not to edit and get the first episode out last Wednesday, so here we are, two a week, woo. My name's Dusty. Yeah, and I'm Daniel. Shining. Still enjoying it. Yeah. Still pretty good. Um, also because I'm lazy, um, I need to, I need to do this better because let me tell you, reading, um, 174 pages in a day was not fun. See, this is a good book. I, I've, I'm really enjoying it, but I like what I'm doing where I'm cracking it open for, I don't know, 20, 30 pages a night. I think that's, that's the, that's the way to do it with King, I think, instead of just like trying to cram it in you know what i mean yeah it has nothing to do at all with the quality of the book the book is fantastic and i've been loving every page of it it's just that it's 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 the doing it because i feel like i have to because i keep procrastinating it not because i want to and it just kind of it kind of puts that that tension in the background of it that almost kind of like that 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 worry that stress that like ooh, there's something watching me that i don't know and wait a minute why is that bunny suddenly crouched down and why are the lions closer to me what you know something kind of like that that wasn't foreshadowing by the way so yeah i need to get better but i need to read more at night instead of just like cramming it all in one day but yeah um, i this is just a, a general question i don't know how many uh, folks are out there that would be interested in answering this question but like drop drop in in, in our comments how uh, did, are you are you like a binge reader or like a like a like do you have like checkpoints style reader like you're like i'm gonna read x pages a night that kind of thing because i when i was younger um i was definitely a binge reader um partially because of the function that i just had more time so like I, I was that kid that would go to the library and check out a bunch of books and then maybe not read all of them but read, but read most of them by the time I had to come back but like I, I feel like for various reasons I don't really have the the stamina to do that anymore to like just like crank out a book in two or three days um so I, I, don't, I don't know I'm just curious do other people is I, I would be curious among people that do read a lot of books what what they're uh, usual method of, of reading is yeah I think for me it's the stress of the deadline because I mean I've had I, I read I think I read Light Lark in eight days and that was maybe three or four days of reading I no actually mm -hmm. I think it was like I think it was like three days of reading and that book's like 400-ish pages um, I remember there was a night where I was I, I started reading and I think like 10 o'clock I was reading uh, the eye of the world and I ended up going to bed at 2 30 because I just got mm. so absorbed into it because, you know, that was me reading because I wanted to read, reading a book that I wanted to read because I was enjoying it purely only because I was enjoying, I was enjoying it. With The Shining today, and yes, this was today, by the way, that I, that I read 174 pages, it was A, because I was enjoying it, and B, because I had a deadline to, to, to reach, and I had just not found the time throughout the week uh to to sit down and even read 20 30 pages so yeah i crammed for like three hours today just like reading it it was across two different sittings because i it was like in the morning while my son was like taking his nap i read like 75 pages then we went out and did things together got lunch played at the park came back and then i was like all right let me crack out the, the last like 99 pages i needed to read here for part three and 
yeah, oof, uh, I need to do better about that, because it's a great book, and I'm enjoying it, and it's so good, and I love Stephen King, and I love The Shining so far, but, but uh, yeah, better habits uh, will lead to better enjoyment and less stress, so I should, uh, I should start reading uh, part four, uh, like, tomorrow or something, like, part, start it, rather, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm super fresh on it, though, so that helps. Yeah, definitely. Last little thought here before we, we dive directly into the book. One thing I've, I've also liked doing is like during my lunch breaks at work is just get it, popping it open and reading however many pages I could squeeze in. Sometimes it's not like a ton, but I, I don't know. I, it's, I find that's like a, it's a really nice thing at work to like to really redirect your mind so that when you go back into it, you're, you know, you, your, your brain has had a true like break. Because you're you're focusing your attention deliberately on something else. I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of a, a nice thing. I, I've been really enjoying doing since we started this uh, this podcast. Yeah. Um. So yeah, let's just I guess jump straight into it. So we're covering part three today. Um. In case anyone forgot or is just now coming in on this one, uh, the last last week we covered um, part one and two. So part yeah. three. Uh, we're starting it was called the wasp's nest and uh boy does that that um that tie that subtitle really um come into play immediately so this part covers i would say it's it's the start of their solitude at the overlook though not total solitude because they still have access to sidewinder and goes all the way through a little after the snow finally sets in and they are now truly trapped in the overlook for the rest of the season and we kind of get a little more of that kind of bubbling horror that king is so great at doing where we get a little bit of tension a little bit of scares a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of what's to come but it's still building it's still boiling a little bit we haven't quite gotten to that that tipping point so yeah just a very very tense part uh, a lot of character work a lot of foreshadowing a lot of aha we we got a couple aha moments immediately with like some some uh foreshadowing being paid off and um we're starting to see the cracks form in Jack Torrance and yeah it's uh it was a very good part um yeah really enjoyed it uh it did not feel like the three and a half ish hours i spent reading today um it went it went smoothly it felt very fluid and i had a great time reading it without thinking about the deadline i po- imposed on myself uh and yeah just just really really good book really enjoying it yeah yeah it's it's really good um i don't know i'm i'm very excited it it, it i really like it, it ends on a, a very um this 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 week ends on a very excited to to see what comes next yeah yeah it's it's very much a uh throw away everything you've been told so far kind of uh ending to a part so uh we start and i'm gonna try and just kind of broad stroke a lot of this because i I feel like i and i feel like i've said this a lot here i feel like this is probably the fourth or fifth time that i've said this that not a lot of plot happened in this section it was more a lot of character development and I, I realize, like I said, I've said this a lot, 
but I I think that tends to happen a lot when you're in the the second act of a novel is mm-hmm. you know we get we we have the establishment now we have the build and then we're going to have the release and then the fall so mm-hmm. we're once again in that building stage uh so yeah we start with jack just doing some of his menial tasks that he's been set off to do at the overlook and in this case he's reshingling the roof before the snowfall and as the title of the part suggests, and like I alluded to earlier, the wasp's nest, he finds, with the worst possible way you could discover, a wasp's nest under one of the, the shingle trimmings, or what, what did he call it, like a, a, a fastening, or what was the term for it? Do you remember? Uh, I, I forget, but it, it was something like that. It was, he, just, he was pulling up shingle, and he, he, he disturbed a, a, a nest, and then they, they were... They were all over him and all that. Which, I mean, I know it was 1977, but, like, I'm sorry, man. Are you telling me you were doing shingle work without gloves on? I mean, I think I think it's, it's fair to say that uh, Jack may be a little in over his head. Obvi- I mean, that's, that's stating it lightly, uh, given what, I mean... Not to spoil anything, but I think we all know what were the general contours of of uh, what a horror, you know, you, a man goes into a into a creepy uh, hotel, you know, it's it's gonna there he's gonna be in over his head, but like lit, in the most literal sense, like he he's not. I mean, people say that previous generations were maybe more handy, and I don't know that that is strictly speaking true, but like. This this guy he he's clearly you know kind of just fumbling his way through a lot of these tasks, um, just and the, the 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 lack of caution that he he displays in this in this particular like like roofing even when you're like working like residential roofs where you're like it's it's like for most in most instances like like a 10, 12 foot drop. They they take a lot more precautions than Jack, who is really just kind of freestyling it up there with like, with, with like, and, and when you also add into to a, a account the the wasp infestation, I think it's very interesting. He, like he basically, I think it said that he was like seventy feet up in the air. Yeah, um, it was pretty ridiculous that he was he was up there and um. Yeah, I, I I thought it was it was very this very interesting meditation on the idea about of, of fear and instinct, um, where where he you know he is seventy feet in the air and the rational mind would say you know you have to be very careful up there but once like you're you're being stung by wasps you're like the sort of like the lizard brain the fear your fear response as it were um, can take over and uh, cause you to uh, fall to your death. Um, I would. I wonder if that is not a a little bit of a a little thematic work there on the part of King. Yeah, and we do get we do get some internal monologuing from Jack that is kind of going into that that lizard brain mentality as you as you mentioned. Um, I want to posit a theory here, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself as I tend to do as well. Um, so something I find interesting in retrospect was when he gets stung and he's like ah oh, damn wasps Ugh. uh he thinks to himself how he had every single day he'd been doing this he had been going up there and like bringing bombs with him and preparing for uh 
possibly stumbling upon a wasp's nest. And then that morning he was like, he was just so just lost in the, in the beauty of the morning of the weather of the sunrise and just nature as a whole that he just kind of got a little bit of a pep in his step and was like, I'm going to be a little more carefree today. And of course this is the day that he encounters the wasp nest. So going off of a few things that we'll talk about here pretty soon, would you say that it is within the realm of possibility that the Overlook Hotel intentionally placed that wasp nest in the roof part there because of Jack's mentality for that morning? And I I will try to remember to come back to this point when the time comes. I just wanted to kind of throw it out into the ether just so it's kind of floating around and ready to be grabbed again when the time comes. But this is when Jack kind of staring almost hypnotically at the wasp nest as he's made his way back around to it and thankfully the cold has made them sluggish so he only got that one sting on his finger. Uh, This is when we finally get the full story of George Hatfield and what happened that caused Jack to lose his job. And there's something that King does here and he does it again later on with Danny with Room 217 that I just absolutely love. And it's 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 an almost like I don't want to say narcissistic tendency that Jack and Danny both show. Uh, narcissistic may not be the right word, but it just kind of reminds me of something that's kind of like that. And so to just kind of like really brush through it quickly because this is just kind of more character setup more than anything else. So George Hatfield was the super cool jock guy that just kind of coasted through the prep school Stovington. He was getting B's and C's, and he was just a uh, an absolute unit on the soccer and baseball team and he wanted to join the debate club because his dad was a lawyer and a rich dude and his dad was like you're gonna be a lawyer just like me and George was the kind of person who was like yeah sure I don't care that's fine dad I'll do what you do that sounds fine with me because I don't have an original thought in my head it was also a time when you could really it, it was it was a lot easier to become a lawyer <laughs> you could you could literally could just Anybody like guy, B's and C's guy with his dad as a, working in a in a law firm could that, that that you could write your ticket pretty much. Yeah, so he joins the debate team, and what Jack notices is that he has a real gift for the preparatory stage of debate. He really he uses the term uh, like jingoism or jingoistic in terms of like how he approaches these. Um, which, if you don't know, is like blind patriotism or blind nationalism, for lack of a better description. I'm, I'm just, I'm really, really generalizing with the definition. Um, just like really extreme nationalism is like jingoism. Uh, that's generally how it's used, at least in terms of like a political format. But um, so yeah, he gets like really deep into the research. It doesn't matter what the subject is, what side he's on, he will do everything in his power to win that debate. However, when the time comes for him to start speaking on his side of the debate, he stutters. And it doesn't happen any other time. He just gets so into it, so excited, so deeply focused that his his brain just shuts down his speaking center and he stutters. And the main point of contention, the the uh, the watershed moment, if you will, was an incident where uh, he's giving a debate and Jack, the 
well, I don't know if it's a, if it's he rings the bell or if it's like a timer. He's yeah, it's a timer. Yeah, that's right. So the yeah the timer goes off, and George gets angry because he feels like Jack set the timer short. He's like, I was looking at the clock. I was counting. You set it short. They have this huge kind of like scuffle. Uh, George kind of blows up about it, and it it pushes Jack, and Jack blows back up on him and mocks him a little bit, and then George storms off, and we get the. Uh, you did that because you know, and then he leaves, and Jack's like, "Because I know what? Because I know nothing." You, 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 you silly goose. And about a week later, he kicks him off of the debate team. And I, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier with the like almost kind of narcissistic tendency that you see in Jack was he's like, "I didn't do it. I did not do it. Uh, there's no way that I, I. I promise you, I did not change the timer." I never changed the timer. I didn't touch it. I totally didn't ch- touch it. So what if I set it forward an extra minute? I was give doing him a favor. Yeah, this- that was that was great because like at first I was, I mean obviously this is this is a kid, and but like I was a little bit like wow this kid is is being is just he's just being a real a little snot, and then then when you when you as you read your. Like you, you get a little more context, and then just that that beautiful little revelation of like, yeah, he he totally screwed the kid over. Yeah, and the great thing about it is, you know, it's I I said it here all all at once, but this takes place over the course of like ten pages, where he's just mm-hmm. like, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. Throughout the conversation, the retrospect in his mind, and then once we get to the end of it, he's like, yeah, so what if I did set it forward an extra minute? He was stuttering. It was a, it was a mercy. Everybody was just basically cringing at what he was doing. So it's that great. That, the truth comes that out. That was what was. That was so good, though. Like, like, cause he, even in his memory, his, like his self justification, as he's thinking about it, he's still telling himself he didn't do it until that moment, and it's just, it's just, it's just this this beautiful uh, display. And this is why one of the why I, one of the reasons why I say King is such a good writer of people. He shows like that that way of like of double think that that most people I, I'm, I'm gonna be just broadly and say most people you know will, will engage in from time to time is where they where they they have their their, their blind spot is themselves and their 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 desire to justify themselves yeah so after cutting them from the debate team that's when we have the incident where uh jack walks out on him slashing his tires and he beats him and he sees red he doesn't really realize what he's doing until he's stopped by another teacher and then he realizes what he's done and he becomes jack torrance again the nicest guy ever totally the nicest guy in new hampshire or wherever they are um and then he starts trying to help the kid but at this point it's too late and he loses his job and yada 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 uh so that's we get the full story for that which was a great kind of look into jack torrance's character even being sober and even though we've been we've been told about his temper and seen things with like him breaking Danny's arm while he was still drinking and whatnot this is just the actual context the actual story instead of just being told hey this happened it was what actually happened so it was a great build on Jack's temper which we will see reoccurring throughout the rest of the book so back to the wasp's nest uh so yeah he's he's, he's like okay I'm gonna get a bomb I'm gonna kill all these little stingy dudes and you know what i had one of these in my room when i was a kid so i'm gonna save it for danny 
and that's what he does. Meanwhile, Danny and Wendy that are out was, Christmas shopping. That was such a such a crazy decision. Yeah. Like, why? Why? It, it, this is such like a, this is like a beautiful look at like the 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 boomer brain. <laughs> just it just thinks like the the things that they they chose to do. It's just like, in in, in when they decided to become parents, is just like that is a really bizarre. Why would you do that? Why why would you even? Why would you even begin to think that's a good idea? Hey, kid, would you like some chewed up wasp vomit? Boy, do but, uh, I! One, one last, one last thing um, that I want to uh, just brush on real quick with the wasp nest is that when after he he deploys the the bug bomb on the wasp nest, is that he he um, he refers to it as a workable symbol for what he's been through in his life. Um, I don't. I, I'm I'm trying to 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 puzzle out what what do you think he meant by that? I mean, my understanding of it was that um, like he spent his entire life essentially tempting fate with uh, with the like the the metaphorical wasp's nest. Like he he was someone that he couldn't mm. he couldn't get out of his own way, so he kept sticking his hand in the wasp's nest. I mean, he he, he outright says that in the metaphorical sense, but my understanding of it was that. It was him thinking that he couldn't get out of his own way well, with the alcohol or his temper, and it was him trying to, like, I guess, I, I think it was him trying to rationalize it and try and maybe put the blame on the universe instead of on him to kind of, like, kind of throw out some sort of um, excuse or um, rationalization that makes him sound like a better person. Like, oh, it wasn't me be. that did this. It was life that's doing this to me. That is true. That is that did come during a, a long patch, a long portion, or just after a long portion of like the the self justification. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we even saw it uh, with the George Hatfield thing when he was like he, he was Jack Torrance again after he had stopped seeing Red and he was now the nicest guy in New Hampshire or whatever as he the self proclaimed. So there's a lot of of um, justification in Jack Torrance's actions. The, it's it's interesting also put a pin in that idea of of uh of what the wasp nest represents at least to uh to jack as he uh gifts it to his son something to put a pin in your your mind there for yeah so yeah danny and wendy come back from their christmas shopping uh we learn that uh so danny's super excited about the wasp nest he's like oh boy that's super swell father and uh, we learn that he is um, he's practicing to to learn how to read and maybe write on a smaller scale, um, and it's something he's taking super seriously, and he's just going harder than both Jack and Wendy expected or really kind of want because they're worried that he's kind of hyperextending himself, so to say. <laughs> but he's just so into it, and I I think part of it is he just wants to finally be able to read all of those signs that that Tony is sending him because he just. He knows some of them, or he at least knows the feeling of them, but he just wants to read them. At least, I, I think that's at least part of it. I totally agree. I think that's, that's like, he wants to do it because he wants to do it for his dad and, and, and for his mom. I think he wants to, to make them proud. I mean, that's that's a, that's a character trait we see um, in Danny throughout the, throughout the novel to this point, is this very strong love he has for his parents and desire to please them. But specifically, I think what he's doing here 
uh, is he's because he like you're saying he he mentions seeing these signs and words and things when that Tony is showing him, but he doesn't quite understand them. I think that's what he's trying to do. Absolutely, is that he's he's trying to strengthen his skills because he knows there is this incoming danger. So because of that love for his parents, he's pushing himself so that he can learn and see and possibly forestall um, these these uh, bad future events that he's he's vaguely aware of. Yeah. So we get some information about that and how much Danny's into it. Uh, meanwhile, Jack is having epiphany after epiphany. He's gotten past his writer block, writer's block, and he's finally feeling like he is about to finish his play. We get told a little bit about his play as well, back up on the roof with the wasp's nest, and how it's kind of a uh, uh, old dean of a or principal of a high school that was an up and coming student but failed is now battling against the main character who he sees as his younger version of himself. Yada yada. And that it kind of you know tropey kind of thing, but it's a play, so whatever. Uh, and he's been he's been finally getting breakthroughs on that, and he's feeling like he'll be able to finish his first draft pretty soon, and hopefully have a pretty clean script by the end of the year that he could send to his agent. Yeah, it was his agent. It's I it is the subject of that play is very ironic when you take into account that he was actually the guy that ended up being beating up the his student and being the most literal antagonist he could you could possibly be um but i think that's that's that is kind of an interesting look into jack because um during that portion where he was talking about george hatfield he did he did mention his own uh similar exploits when he was younger um and i think i don't know if this was i think this is something that, that i don't think he called this an explicit parallel to it at least the character of Jack, but I think the the concept is um, that the King wanted us to take away from that is there's there is a, a a certain lack of self awareness on the part of Jack that he may view himself as the young upstart still, but yet he is in practice more the like the 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 jaded uh, authoritarian figure that is you know kicking down at at people that he can. Yeah, so a lot a lot of a lot of great poetic irony in, in this so far some of it that I, some of it that i find kind of funny is is jack is like kind of self-aware to the point to where he's like he's like almost to the point of pure self-awareness but like just kind of barely misses the mark especially with like i said his his self-justifications of of his behavior and his actions mm-hmm. so now it's it's that night um Danny had a bit of an episode. Uh, he had some visions in the bathroom. He locked the door. Uh, Jack had a temper flare that, like, almost was something more than, like, akin to what he was when he was drinking, but I guess he kind of caught himself. And Danny uh, alludes to the timer. He says something about the timer, and that, like, that scares Jack. And when he starts crying and, and kind of blubbering a little bit, Jack shakes him and shouts, don't stutter. Uh, so we get that, like, kind of, that, it's, it's, it's very, I mean, obviously the reason why Danny is hearing and, hearing and saying these things is because of his shining with Jack, and he's able to read and hear, kind of, at least some semblance of 
what Jack was thinking of that day. It's not a coincidence that Jack was thinking about George Hatfield. That's why Danny said the things he did was because he was thinking about it that day. But for Jack, he thinks he's like he's like I know he said that clear as day. That's and he just can't make heads or tails of it. He's just like wow, what what was that? Why did I why did I even get on him for stuttering? That's just so that's, that's so weird. I know he said timer, but Danny is just a very weird kid and he just basically lets it all go eventually and he's like yeah that's cool i love you dad you're the best uh mom you're pretty cool too i guess uh night and he goes to bed has a nightmare and wakes up to like five or six wasps on his arm and lo and behold the wasps have returned what oh my goodness wow how have the wasps returned after Jack has killed them all and made sure that there were none left? So, now Jack and Wendy are killing the wasps. Danny's arm has like 12 stings in it, I think, and is swelling up. And he's they put him in the other room and they're killing the wasps. And they're like, how did this happen? And Wendy's freaking out because she's like, I knew this was a bad idea. And Jack's like, I made sure I did it right. Oh, those bug bomb companies, they're going to pay through the nose. And, and also... He's- you know, yelling. This is this is another temper flare-up. In in such a short time, he's he's uh, yelling at at, uh, at his wife and even yelling at Denny for uh, at a portion, just you know, just verbally abusing them. Yeah. So he uh, he goes to go try and get um, some bug spray, but uh, Wendy has killed them all at that point. And so he he decides he's gonna take Polaroids of Danny's arm, how it looks, and of the the nest itself, because he wants to try and sue the bug bomb company. Because he's like, oh, I did, I followed directions, it didn't work. I'm gonna sue them for this. And so he gets a, um, oh no, he doesn't get a bug spray or anything. He gets he gets a bowl. That's right, he gets a bowl, a clear bowl, and he places it over on top of the nest just in case there are any more still in there. And so when he goes back in there to get. Uh, a picture of the nest uh he sees that the bowl is just filled with wasps like 50 or 60 or something like that and it's just like how did this happen i uh, it's like they just they just regrew and he's like there's no way if there was generation (laughs) yeah he's like if they were um if there were eggs in there there's no way they would mature that quickly so he just kind of puts something under it and like slides it onto the the thing that he's holding and takes it outside and he's like i will freeze you to death you will die in the morning and that's kind of the end of the wasp incident so to say at least in terms of like the major event itself but to kind of go back to what i mentioned earlier and i told you i was like keep that in the back of your mind um so this is kind of what i'm talking about with the whole do you think the overlook intentionally placed the wasp nest like created out of the ether the wasp nest and put it on the roof purely because that was the morning that Jack did not take the precaution for wasps. Because clearly we've seen that the hotel, because they were dead. He had an empty nest. It was sitting on the porch. Uh, He handled it. Danny handled it. It only became a thing until around midnight that night. And Wendy said she killed them all. There were none left. But when Jack put the bowl over it and came back in, not minutes later, there were 50-plus more inside the bowl buzzing around. So, clearly the hotel has... The the forces that control the hotel have created more wasps, both, you know, before and after Danny getting stung. So, 
yeah, do you think that the hotel created them in the first place for Jack that morning? I I think that's I think that's probably a fair a fair thing to say. I think it's it, it does kind of it's it's interesting that it, it wondering why why it chose that particular manifestation, but it is it is I think I think that is probably what we're supposed to take away because why why would it I don't know it wouldn't make sense at least to me for the for it to appear and then like naturally and then the second appearance and or second time we we come back to it when it's a you know they're all attacking Danny and then there's even more that are generated I I feel like it it, it would make more sense if it was just the the wasp nest is like an apparition of the hotel um, at at all points essentially well the stings were real though well, no, they're, they're, they're real stings. Maybe apparition is the wrong word, but they are like... It is It is essentially something that was created by the the hotel to to specifically to torment them. Yeah, which something I feel like I noticed in this part here that that's kind of part of the escalation of the tension is that it seems like the there's three major incidents um, in this part here, I would say. There's the, the wasp nest itself, the, the hose... And the the topiary, those are our three mm-hmm. major events, and with all three of them, I feel like it is a a bit of a a um, a sense where the hotel is kind of taking the victim of the situation and just kind of playing with their expectations. So they expect something to happen, and when they either let their guard down. Or they essentially try and poke the bear, so to say. That's when the event triggers. So it's almost like it's 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 toying with them. In all three of these situations, it's it's going up against their predispositions and trying to make them feel like something is wrong with them instead of something wrong with the hotel. Yeah, that's what is the. This inhuman place makes inhuman monsters. Something, something to that effect. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. It's this inhuman place makes human monsters. That's right. Yeah. Um, I think that's that is that is uh, apt to your point. Is like this idea is like it. It is intentionally doing something to them to make them to to display maybe the worst traits of themselves and to make them you know, lash out in a certain or or react in a certain way that that is damaging. Yeah. And speaking of that quote, so Wendy earlier that afternoon when they got back from Christmas shopping, she said that she wanted to have them all, particularly Danny, have a, um, a, a doctor's appointment the next day just so they could, you know, just make sure they're good, make sure everything's okay. She was kind of worried about about the, the incidences that Danny has been having, and she just wants to make sure that he's okay there's nothing wrong with him and they're not going to be having a situation that requires medical assistance while they're snowed in and unable to do anything about it and jack agrees and so how fortuitous that they had a doctor's appointment planned the next day uh because now danny has been stung by by wasps multiple times so now we're at the doctor's office oh what was a doctor it was a bill edmonds i think it was edmonds sounds right let me See if I can find... Yeah, Dr. Edmonds, yeah. Yeah, so... The wasp stings relatively inconsequential. They will go away. Thankfully, he's not allergic. But, uh... The big thing that he was there for was for his... 
his visions, his his mental lapses, his hypnosis state, whatever you want to call it, it's really it's his shining, but obviously they don't know that the parents. And so he has a talk with Edmonds and it's he gets a vibe from him that exudes kind of secrecy and confidentiality so he's able to open up to him in a way that he wouldn't with his parents he tells him about how uh they've been feeling uh like divorce for a while but not anymore Uh, he tells him about tony uh he mentions that his mother is currently thinking about her dead sister and just all of these things that are just kind of danny doing danny things and of course the doctor is trying to, to rationalize it as you do and he 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 kind of goes along with him and the whole thing with tony and he's like can you bring tony out can you can you go like visit him on command and he's like i can try but there's no guarantee and he's like well can you just try and so danny tries and he succeeds and he gets to tony and he gets another nightmare another vision of things to come we get a little more foreshadowing of things that are probably going to happen the big thing being jack in the basement finding a white book and danny having this sense of dread around that book thinking oh he shouldn't grab that book don't grab the book oh no that book is bad so um and then that's where the quote comes this inhuman place makes human monsters uh it's going over and over and over and over until the doctor breaks him out of it and he only catches pieces of it and so the doctor sends danny away gets jack and and wendy in there and it's just like oh yeah you know kids just kid's got an imagination on him you know how it is he's just he you know oh yeah you guys are getting a divorce oh well he created tony to try and cope with that because he needed a friend in a trying time and you know kids are very apt at reading moods and whatnot they're very very uh uh emotionally gifted things you know and they you know so it's just he's just he's just coping he that's all it is just he's just coping uh and just kind of the doctor really said cope harder danny yeah he said, Danny, on that copium. Yeah. I'm sorry, Danny. The Patriots aren't making the Super Bowl in 77. Get over it, scrub. <laughs> Meanwhile, middle-aged Danny's just like, yes, that Brady guy finally did it. <laughs> yeah, middle-aged Danny, if he's still a Patriots fan, ate real good for 20 years. Maybe maybe we will see in uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Dr. Sleep. I haven't read or watched Dr. Sleep, but yeah, it would be great if there's some little, like, king-esque uh, king-esque like it's not king that wrote it um kind of just diatribe where danny's just sitting there talking about his life i'm pretty sure it was written while brady was still in 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 new england i don't know when dr yeah. sleep came out but i'm assuming it was before 2019 um and just just some little blurb where he's just like yeah, i still follow the patriots and boy i have never been more of a football fan than i am now that thomas edward brady junior guy I think that's his name. Uh, is is just a real fellow. I am just eating good as a football fan. Like that would be so king <laughs> to just have some little bit like that. Mm-hmm. Which, for context, by the way, Danny was wearing a New England Patriots jacket. I think at some point in time, or Jack was. I think I think it, I think it was it was specifically at this uh, at this uh, visit to the clinic. Or I, maybe I it was right. maybe it was when he was going. Yeah, I think I, I, that's what it was. I remember it was on some outing specifically that they mentioned, so I think it was the clinic. Yeah, football aside, though. Um, so, yeah, the doctor just kind of plays it off. Oh, you know, kids and their imaginations. Uh, it's probably, 
he, he could probably feel the divorce you were talking about. The only thing that kind of stumps him is he asks Wendy about her sister, and she's like, yes, I was thinking about her out there. And he's like, you ever tell Danny? And she's like, no, I never, I have never mentioned her to him. That's, that's weird. And so Wendy's just kind of, she, she always, she thinks to herself, you know, the doctor's trying to just kind of logic away all of these coincidences, but she's thinking to herself, well, he doesn't know about the time that Danny would do things I would think something, and and then I would go out, and Danny would have essentially helped get ready for it. Like like she wants tea, and he has a cup with a tea bag in it. By the time she gets downstairs, she wants to go return some books to the library, and she goes down, and they're all stacked up with her library card on top. You know, it was like little things that are just very precognition of Danny to do, and like no point in mentioning that because this doctor has already made up his mind, despite him saying multiple times, "I'm not a psychiatrist," but. So, it kind of was a wash. Didn't really get anything for them. They, they, they get a little bit of peace of mind personally. Because, uh, hey, it's not epilepsy. Woo. Uh, so, yeah. But it, it's not really... We as readers, we know what's going on. So, we know that it, this was just nothing. But Jack is at least somewhat assuaged by this. Wendy maybe is but i know that she's going to think that there's something more going so that was more or less the doctor's trip and it yeah it just kind of was just a way for us to get a little more of danny and the shining so fun stuff yeah and so now we are on to and boy uh king did not wait long for this foreshadowing to uh th- this um this checkoff's gun to fire so to say um now we get to the scrapbook and so Jack is down in the boiler room doing the things that he has to do multiple times a day because, you know, if you didn't know this, by the way, that ticker creeps up. So you got to make sure that you, you got to bring it back down. Uh, so he's, you know, doing his thing. He's just looking through the stuff that's down there because there were boxes of things and stuff and old nonsense and whatnot. And he's just kind of flipping through them, looking through things, getting a little bit of what he can from the history of the place. And so he finds this white book that ends up being a scrapbook, and he's flipping through it, and he just kind of it. This I feel like this whole bit. This was like twenty pages or so. It 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 works so much for the world building, but it doesn't really do much in terms of the plot. I feel like a lot of this is going to kind of come back into play, um, and some of it kind of is giving context to things that have already happened. Because I don't remember if we mentioned this, but when they're when when Ullman was giving them the tour of the hotel when they first got there. He shows them the presidential suite, and something that Halloran had told Danny before he left was that you'll see things, uh, but remember that nothing here can hurt you. It's like pictures in a book. You can see them, and they might scare you, but they can't do anything to you. And when they're leaving the presidential suite, Danny sees blood. It looks like, at first, it's just blood stains on the wall with something that looks like possibly brain matter. And then when he looks again, now it's fresh blood, and it's dripping down the wall. And then he, when he when they're like leaving, it's gone, and you know yada yada. And so we get we actually learn what happened in the presidential street suite eventually. Um, but yeah, in in the scrapbook, it's just kind of a history of the the changing of the hands in uh, for the overlook. And there's always one reoccurring thing, um, and it's uh, oh no, what was his name? The like possibly billionaire magnate Horace Durant. Horace Derwent, yes, thank you. Uh, He always pops back up, and he bought it in, was it the 40s? Was it post-war? 
He bought he bought the hotel. I think it was uh, like forty seven to fifty two. He bought it. He, the, the grand opening was it was in uh, forty five. Yeah, it was August forty five, right before the war ended. And I want to say it was until like fifty two or fifty three. I don't I don't remember until he sold it uh, for the first time. But uh, we kind of we kind of get the story of it changing hands a lot, and there's a lot of kind of um, not so legal, not so um, morally or ethically just things going on with with the ownership of the Overlook, and a lot of it seems to have ties back to the mafia, and a lot of it yeah, always lots of, lots of tax dodging and. And shell company stuff going on that I think, and it, the, I think that's something that they deliberately mention is that they're 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 um, in one of the the scraps is the, the, the that he that's in the scrapbook is that they're they're trying there's a lot of pe- people in in government that are trying to do some like research into it but that they, they they get like bought off or something like that. Yeah, and we have like some expose from some investigative journalist, um, which boy. Those used to be things, um, and we get a lot of information about all of this, and it always comes back to Derwent. Derwent is always connected in some facet, whether because he's the owner himself or a shell company that eventually gets linked to him is the owner. So Derwent is going to be a reoccurring figure, I feel. Um, maybe not in person, but there's always going to be the shadow of Derwent over the Overlook in some facet. I feel like that's how it's going to go. Because there's no reason why King would really focus on Derwent if that wasn't going to be a thing. So I, I totally agree. There's no reason to, to mention this scrapbook at all. Um, if if Derwent, or, or at least the doings of Derwent, were not going to come back in a major way. Yeah, and we see this more here in a bit. Um, but yeah, he goes through it and we learn that he was working with, um, a lot of ties to the mafia. Like I said, a lot of gambling rings in Las Vegas and the incident that ended up happening was there was a, um, a mafia boss, uh, named Vito, uh, G- uh, uh, Isn't it Gianelli? Gianelli? Okay. I'm, I'm going off of memory here and I apologize if I'm getting the names wrong. Uh, Gianelli. Thank you. It's like Vito Gianelli. And he was staying in the presidential suite with two bodyguards, and uh, there was a hit, essentially. Some some masked assassins came up and killed his two bodyguards and him, and possibly cut his balls off and took them with him. Interesting detail. Um, I <laughs> So that was the murder that Danny saw the, the, the blood from. So we get to see, we get a payoff of that. That was... That was really cool when he, when they died. That that was it was it was like wow, when you when you, when that happened, it was it. Was, I I really, I don't know. After after reading uh, House of Leaves, I, I've I've gained an appreciation for like like interwoven narratives and stuff like that. It, so so to have those little those little um, not explicit um, setups and payoffs, it, it was a really cool thing to read. Yeah. Which, by the way, um, kind of backtracking a little bit, talking about setups and payoffs. Um, so something that we've, we've seen reoccurring uh, with Danny's nightmares is him being chased by someone holding the, the, ro- the Roke mallet. 
and like slamming mm-hmm. it into the walls and chasing after him and shouting down on him. The, one of the things that we've been consistently hearing from the person chasing him, which if you know what the shining is, you know who's chasing him. That's not it's it's one of those things where it's 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 Darth Vader. Uh, no, I am your father kind of things. Everybody probably knows the twist of the shining at this point because, you know, it's it's almost 50 years old and the movie is like a major cultural icon. So if you don't know who's chasing Danny, congratulations. I don't know what rock you were under for the last 50 years to make that a thing, but congratulations all the same. I'm not going to say it here. Um, It'll make the payoff a lot better. (laughs) It really would. Um, uh, Anyways, uh, well, actually, I'm not going to say it here. Here I am about to say it. Um, So the thing that the person chasing him is always saying is, like, come here, you son of of a bitch. Come get your medicine. And an interesting thing that happens in the story with George Hatfield is when Jack walks outside and sees him slashing his tires... He says, oh, okay, that's how you're going to play this. Come and get your medicine. Oh. Hmm. I, I didn't even make that connection. Hmm. <laughs> Talk about some good writing, King. God damn. That, I, I saw that. And once again, it's one of those things to where it's like everybody knows the twist. Everyone knows what's coming because, you know, this has just been such a major cultural icon. Mostly, let's be completely real here because of um because of kubrick but even still king is the is responsible for it at the end of the day um so we 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 know what's as 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 you know you and i having a knowledge of the movie we know what's coming we know what's going to happen so more or less the broad strokes at least because the book is vastly (laughs) different um but even still that moment they're, they've been building up. They've been building up Jack's temper and how destructive he can be with his temper, but with both with Danny's arm and George Hatfield. That when you you have Danny having these visions in the first, in part one and two, the come on you son of a bitch, come get your medicine, and then in part three we get the first sign that that person carrying the mallet. It may not necessarily. I'm just I'm gonna be really cute here for a second. It may not necessarily be Jack, but it has some sort of connection to Jack because oh he's saying the same thing that Jack did to George Hatfield. So you know, like I said, like I said, I'm being cute a little bit here, but you know. So so when so when you're getting cute, you do a little bit of a, a Jimmy Stewart there. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I, I'm like, not gonna. Oh 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 oh! I, what are you doing here with the? <laughs> I see you got no, that uh, you got that rook mallet there. Hey, uh, oh ha! Huh, I wonder what uh, what you're gonna do with that mallet, huh? You little. Oh yeah, I have that over here. Oh, it's a rook mallet. Oh we yeah. Don't see too many of those. <laughs> Why don't you come here, you son of a bitch? Why don't you come and take your medicine? <laughs> this is the cutting edge comedy here. Yes, it is. Jimmy Jimmy Stewart impressions in 2023. Yeah. Or yeah, current totally year accurate. of listening. <laughs> yeah. Um. But anyways, so yeah, we 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 have some. It's just it's just great connections, you know. We got we're we're building up a little Pepe Silvia wall here that King has constructed for us to put together. And uh, I'm not crazy, you're crazy. I have not lost my marbles. But anyways, um so Jack discovers the history of the Overlook and he's like, "Man, this would make a great book and this would make a great exposé, be it fiction or historical or a little bit of both." Um so now which the- is interesting, an interesting little meta thing because this was I this the hotel, the Overlook, is is uh, inspired by an actual hotel that King that King uh, saw when he was 
he temporarily moved to uh, Boulder um, during the 1970s. So I, I don't know. It's just it's interesting that there's this meta moment of King writing about this guy who's who's writing a book about this guy going to a hotel, and then the guy going to the hotel is wanting to write a book about the hotel. It's it's this very interesting sort of meta narrative moment that that I mean you you may not you, you might not know it if you don't know a little bit of the the background of this novel, but it it it, beca- it adds an interesting little twist. Stephen King being meta. That is almost unheard of. <laughs> so anyways, uh, now with that kind of newfound information, um, he decides he wants to go to the library and kind of investigate some of this stuff. So we go take another trip to Sidewinder, and he's going through it, and we're getting a lot more of... Um, he's. Oh, actually, I, I should probably say this real quick before we go to that. Uh, Wendy comes down to try and find him because he's been down there for a while and for some reason he gets super defensive kind of like he's trying to hide that he's been drinking and he's like trying to hide the book and playing coy about it and he's not even sure why he's doing this why he's acting this way but he is all the same which I think is part of the the psychosis of Overlook kind of creeping in there Um, so that's kind of something to keep in mind is Jack's kind of uh, hesitant nature even towards Wendy about this, and it was also it's also kind of leading to some some uh, mental um, frustration. That's a very very um, that is uh, understating it uh, towards Wendy, uh, to where he's like mentally shouting at her at this point, and we can see the kind of breakdown because at the start with the wasp's nest and uh, all of this kind of the writing and stuff we start to see that Jack is healing and he feels like he's healing and he feels like he's becoming the person that he was supposed to be that he was before drinking yada 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 back in his college days and that lasted for all of like one chapter and now we're starting to see the decay come in in full force to the point where Wendy is being reminded of of behaviors and mannerisms like him wiping his mouth with his handkerchief or the back of his hand constantly to the point to where his lips are probably getting chapped and his lips are bleeding just kind of things that she is familiar with from when it was he was at his worst with his drinking. Those mannerisms starting to pop back up. So yeah, that didn't last long. That 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 kind of it was almost like it was the eye of the storm. Like they were they mm-hmm. he had that almost where things looked like they were fine. But here comes the second half of the storm front pushing in. Um, so they go back to Sidewinder. He's looking through some stuff. He's getting a headache because things ain't going good um he we have another bit of him and wendy's relationship kind of starting to show a little bit of strain once again when he asks her for excedrin which apparently was something that drunk jack did a lot because of how excedrin made him feel and she notices it and he notices it and she doesn't have any so he wants to call olman and he goes and he buys some excedrin at the drugstore because hey I'm going to do that. And he chews them. What kind of monster chews, etc.? Ah. <laughs> ah. Yeah, I... I... Is is Excedrin still around? I, I want to say so. Probably. I, is. I remember... I, you don't hear about it nearly as much anymore. Here, let me let me ask Handy Dandy Google. Excedrin. Yeah, Excedrin.com still exists. Hmm. Uses. What is Excedrin good for? Absolutely. A lot of things. <laughs> is Excedrin just ibuprofen? 
people also ask. So, okay, Excedrin is still a thing. Um, so, he gets some, he calls Ullman up, and boy, just... Boy, you want to talk about how Jack is somebody who intentionally sticks his hand into the wasp's nest on a metaphorical level. This is like sticking your face in the wasp's nest. He calls Ullman so that he can poke and prod him. He's like, you embarrassed me. You brought up my past. You made me look like a fool. So now I'm going, and he actually says something like that to him. He's like, you embarrassed me. Um... It's so petulant, so petty. And he's just like, oh, I, I found this scrapbook, and it has the history of it. Oh, hey, is Derwent still the owner? How about uh, how about Vinnie Gognetti getting murdered in the presidential suite? I know that wasn't his name, but I know you get that, Daniel. Um, <laughs> what about that, huh? What about what about Derwent, huh? Is Derwent still the owner? Huh? What about the mob and the mafia ties? Huh? Did you know you're running a blood hotel? You didn't tell me any of this. And Ullman's just like, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't pertinent, you asshole. Uh, what do you? Why I would I would fire you right now if I if I felt one hundred percent certain that I could get away with it. But I'm only ninety five percent, so you know I'm I'm gonna be calling Al Shockley after this. this. Honestly, the whole the whole to, as, as it as it went on, I would my my sympathies vacillated. I was like, I really dislike both of these people. <laughs> I, I honestly was feeling bad for Ullman by the end of it. I'm like, Jesus, Jack, this is just not the play, dude. Like, I'm kind of in agreement in, in agreement with Ullman here. Like, it wasn't pertinent. You, It wasn't your job to know. Like, would it have been nice to know? Sure, I guess, if you're interested in the history of the hotel. And, yeah, of course, he's going to try and sell you the hotel with not telling you about the murders or the mafia ties or Derwent's shady dealings and whatnot like but also like he said it's not pertinent to your job you're just a caretaker don't don't get me wrong that that is true and there is no reason jack should have made that phone call but i i but he is just omen is just such a uniquely annoying character and like the way he he talks and acts and it's just it just it just like any bad thing that happens to him i'm like okay i'm okay with it he's just because because i find him annoying as a person yeah but yeah jack jack was 100 there's no reason here. there there's literally no reason for jack to make that it's like like even if he were wanting to do what he was actually what what he what he was alluding to which is like create this book about the the overlook hotel and its history and all that there's, there's literally even if that he was doing that and he wasn't just blowing smoke and trying to, to, to get Omen all upset and freaked out. Why would you say that? Well, because you, you're, 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 you're like there. Then their guard is gonna be up. You're just, you're just putting up blocks to yourself. So there's, like, from, from any perspective, from whether it's like, it's just not a good or nice thing to do. Like, like, and it's, but also from like a tactical or strategic perspective as if for his writing it's it's not helping him it's just it's just very indicative of this sort of like self-destructive tendency that jack has and yeah. this this sort of as you're saying that sort of like petty vindictive nature uh that that um that that is is causing that it's the again the sticking his face into the, <laughs> the to the wasp's nest for yeah. no reason and once again, he comes so close to self-awareness 
so so very close and then just kind of has a little jackism to where he's just like ah it's it, it's it's the kids that are out of touch you know one, one of those kind of moments where he's he's just so so almost there but then just kind of does some sort of justification to make it to where it's not on him to where he thinks to himself is he self-sabotaging this because he knows that they don't need to be at the overlook that they need to get out of there because they shouldn't be there nah it's fine i'm just an idiot and that's kind of that like the 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 phone call does nothing except for make jack even more of an asshole in olman's eyes and more of uh vindicating his opinion like jack's like you embarrassed me you told me i wasn't right for this job and all he did with that was prove olman right so like congratulations uh well there is more that came of it then he he gets he gets a call from al yeah 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 but i was building to that but uh yeah so that's kind of the end of that situation and so they go back to the, the, the hotel. And then later that night, um, you know, uh, Ullman kept his word. He called Shockley. Uh, and Shockley calls um, Jack. And, well, he's not really Jack's friend in this phone call. He's basically just like, dude, like, what are you, what are you doing? Why, why, are you, why are you being this way? This is just stupid. You're being stupid. And Jack's just like, hey, man. Oh, something I should mention, by the way. Jack was trying to ask Ullman if... If, um, uh, I forgot that dude's name again. Derwin. Derwin? Derwin? Derwent. Derwent. Okay. I, if Derwent was still the owner, and Ullman was like, hey, uh, Shockley is the majority stockholder. He's got 35%. It, he's the closest thing to an owner at this point. So, like, get off my back. I don't know about this Derwent thing. I don't care. Like, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna call Shockley because you're an ass. So, Shockley calls him, and yeah, you know, he's he's being all he's getting pissed at him because he's like, dude, like, come, what are you what are you doing, man? Why 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 are you doing this, man? Uh, and and Jack's like, oh man, it's it's he's an asshole. I just wanted to kind of poke poke and prod him for fun, you know. I just did it for the lulls, as the kids say. Uh, and hey, let me tell you, man, I found a scrapbook and I could write one killer book about this place. And Shockley's like, are you are you fucking kidding me, dude? Like again. No reason to to say that. My my man needs to take some lessons from from uh, Lil Wayne and uh, move in silence. Uh, real real G's move in silence like lasagna. Yeah, imagine. Like like, like, like he because I the his actual his pitch for the book is actually really interesting, and yet he's wasting it by like on these 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 little petty score settling with uh, with Ullman and. Uh, and then, then blabbing it to to shot to um, to Al, and just but just think like how how much more satisfying that revenge would be if you dropped the book on them, just later like like a like a couple years later, which like is that, exactly that a thought he has too, which would have been much that would have been like ten times better than just just getting this, you know, this little cheap reaction that almost cost him his job you know and when he, we, and he's got his family to think about it's just just it just shows a, a true pettiness and lack of foresight yeah on, in any no no matter how you slice it you know like like i said like the like from the just the, the morality and or like just being a a, a, a decent well-adjusted person it doesn't make sense from like the perspective of getting revenge it doesn't make sense 
you know, it just no, nothing, <laughs> nothing. It, it, he even says, you know, I don't really know why I made that phone call. You know, it just, uh, it just one of the more like, like annoying sections, but in a good way, of course. It, I'm not, I'm not saying it's poor writing, but it's just like King does a good job of just writing this guy that sucks. Yeah, it's like being best friends with the president, and you're just like, oh hey, by the way, I, I. I learned some stuff about your campaign and your campaign manager. Boy, some juicy, juicy stuff that would really look bad on you. And I'm thinking about writing an expose about it, bud. Just letting you know. And it's like, it's like the you know, clearly Al's just like, um, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> He's like, hey, man, uh, I don't expect this to be a five to six year thing. Like, how long you think it'll take for your book? I expect this to be a 30 year thing. I'm investing in like my life into this hotel and trying to like, you know, get the rest of my life and my, my retirement going with this hotel. Um, don't fuck that up for me because of you want to write a book about it. Don't do it. And of course, Jack's just like, he's thinking, wow, everybody's against me. I can't believe Al is just taking part on the shit on Jack Torrance week thing that's going on. First it was Wendy and oh man. And now it's Al. Ah. Jack's kind of insufferable. I don't know if my my impressions of him have gotten that point across. Yeah, it's 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 very much across your feelings about Jack. Yeah, uh, it's just like yeah, it's a great idea for a book, and yeah, like if you'd have been a little sneaky and backstabby about it, it would have been better for you. If we're being perfectly honest here, because let's be real, like that stuff probably should be written about Al Shockley's feelings on the matter, withstanding or not. Um, but like you know, don't go and and also artistically, it is a very interesting, uh, and and actually, the, when you get into like the 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 politics and the meta politics about it, it's it actually is to, to his his pitch like this idea of like of it, of being a great representative of like post war American history. It's like you see like the the intelligence of Jack, but he just squanders it in these just silly squabbles and just dumb decisions. Yeah, which if I'm being honest, I feel like that would actually do more towards building the um the allure of the overlook than actually ruining it. People would be like, "Oh, I want to go to the place where a mafia guy was killed. That sounds like fun." You know, I think that's that's that is definitely true in a 21st century context. I feel like in the 20th century though, they probably would people not that people would feel differently, but like the 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 wisdom, the the common wisdom would have been like the opposite you know rather but now now they would definitely lean into it they would lean into it too far now where it would like come off as like a little bit like tacky it's like okay well like like but people actually died here and and you're trying to turn that into a tourist thing it's like but but now like definitely like the the real crime people would would just go nuts for that yeah so yeah jack's an idiot and Al makes him agree to two things if he wants to keep the job, and it's don't call all men again and don't write the book. And Jack has to begrudgingly agree to it. And um, Danny shines this, actually. He, he shines all of it and he kind of references it a little bit to to um, to Wendy, which is, once again, kind of having her little alarm bells going off as well. But... Now we got, I would say we got three more things, three more major things that I think we should talk about. I'm going to try and kind of go a little quicker through them. Um, 
Uh, four, technically, because I, I think Danny and, and Wendy's conversation in the car is also important. Um, so, uh, I'll just quickly, this is probably going to be out of order, but I'm just going to jump to Danny and Danny and uh, Wendy in the car real quick, because uh, it is important. Wendy's thinking that she needs to talk to Danny about, um, this takes place after the hose incident that I'll get into in a minute, just for, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of jumping around the timeline here, but I just want to kind of hit these kind of quickly. But Wendy's been thinking she wants to talk to Danny about his shining, basically, without knowing what it is, um, and about Tony and all of this, and she wants to get the truth out of him, and she doesn't want to intimidate him, so they finally have this conversation, this is while they're gone, and while Jack's trimming, supposed to be trimming the hedges, so like I said, this is after, I'm just kind of jumping around, um, and he kind of finally opens up to her a little bit, and tells her about, a little bit about what he was thinking, and about how things are going, and she is a little more receptive to it and thinking that this might be a little more than just what Edmonds was saying about just kids feeling things out a little better. So we get a nice little build between Danny and Wendy's relationship. And I think this is going to play a major role later on when things start kind of going very bad. She might be a little more receptive to him instead of just possibly brushing it off. Like if she would have, like if he would have told her the hose story, she would have probably brushed it off even at this point. But I feel like, it's going to come into a, come into play in part four and part five uh, that this is going to be the start of the build of the relationship that allows her to be the true mother figure to him when it matters in the climax, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I just want to throw out here that she's she actually is a really good mom. She like, is. Like she is. She's a great character. Like I, I think overall she is my favorite character in the book so far. Yeah, uh, her only flaw, and I'm really using this term very loosely, is her jealousy towards Danny's feelings towards Jack compared to her. Um, yeah, and I really but feel I, like I, I'm I can, reaching. I, I I can I can kind of understand where she's coming from though, especially when she, with the unresolved feelings about Jack having broken Danny's arm, even you know, you know it's it's it's, I I can I can understand. You know where where she's coming from with that. I mean, you know, I can kind of speak to that uh, firsthand. To where, uh, granted, I'm not the mother in this situation; I'm the father. But when I'm like, you know, it's time to put my kid to bed, and I'm like, "Can I have a hug? Can I have a hug? Can I have a hug?" And he's just staring at me or staring somewhere else, and maybe he'll give me like a one or two second long hug, where he'll just kind of like go into my shoulder a little bit and then get back up immediately. Meanwhile, when it's mom's turn, it's like. 10 15 20 30 second hugs and i'm just like i want to i want a mom hug sometime so i can kind of get where she's coming from it's not it's not any malice or anything it's just me being like gee i wish i could get hugs that lasted that long for my son so i can see where she's coming from a little bit so like i said i feel like i just had to really reach to be like if she has a flaw so far it's that but even then that's like so minor like insanely minor but yeah, I think that conversation was really important for for their relationship, and I think that's going to be the bridge that kind of puts them together at the end of the book. The start yeah, of the start yeah. of building so she, that bridge. She basically gets to the point where, by the end of the conversation, she believes that Tony. She doesn't know what Tony is, but she believes that Tony exists. We're using that term loosely. We don't really know to what extent tony exists or what he is a manifestation of but she she believes that tony does uh, danny does communicate to tony she believes and and she's she's basically at this point she's like i'm pretty sure that he does have the sort of like precognition 
by the end of it she's she's pretty convinced of that and it, it, it does a good job of like wrapping up Danny also susses out something he also mentions during that conversation some things like about the phone call um that 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 really confirm uh basically that that's that's what basically just uh, seals it for her. is like she's she she know that's how she knows that he's he's authentically um has the shine i guess yeah whether she actually knows how to to convey it or not but um uh one thing as well uh one important thing to bring up is uh to really put in perspective how um bad her relationship with her mother is is when confronted about it because she is trying to give her and danny an out for overlook and even possibly jack an out uh before it's too late uh to where she's like we can leave and come back and see your dad in the spring or we can convince him and the three of us can leave he would rather stay despite the nightmares despite everything he would rather stay at the overlook than go to his grandma's house well yeah that's that's true but i think this that's also very indicative of like the love that danny has for his parents is because it's it it, it what what um is particularly driving him off is like this idea of like how how her mom is always thinking about ways to get danny taken away from his parents and uh and all of like the the the, the negative the, the rancor that uh wendy's mother feels for her and it, that it, he feels that on such a on such a primal level that it just to him that is just it's it's unthinkable to to go there and to to subject himself to that sort of um, emotionally unstable environment. Yeah. And so backing up now, we'll, let's talk about the the hose incident. So this is our our first real um, uh, interaction that Danny takes with Room Two Seventeen. Uh, so he. He was told by Halloran, don't go into that room. Whatever you do, that's the one place you shouldn't go. Please don't go in there. I saw some bad... Or no, it was the maid that saw some bad things in there. I think I think he might have as well. I think he said that he went with her. and I, I don't remember the details specifically. But basically, 217's bad. And so Danny's standing outside of it. And he knows all the rooms are locked. And this is kind of what I was mentioning earlier on. Um, he's sitting there just like, yeah, there's the master key uh, that Dad has on the... Um, on in like the, the the reception area or whatever and he told me not to take it and to never take it and of course i'm never going to take it because that would get me in trouble and i don't want to get in trouble with that so i'm not going to take it of course i have it in my pocket it's just <laughs> another one of those situations is kind of like the timer like i said the, something that wendy notices is danny is picking up a lot of mannerisms from her and jack and he's doing the he's wiping his lips like his dad does um, you know, he's, he's picking up these these little these little things, and I think this I think that is very pertinent in the whole thing with that because it's very similar, very 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 similar to Jack's. Like, I didn't change the timer. There's no way I would ever change the the, the timer. Scout's honor. I didn't change the timer. Yeah, so I changed the timer by a minute. So what? It's it's mm-hmm. very similar to that, and I just I got a good chuckle out of that too. I'm like, haha, reincorporating that, but with with Danny instead of Jack. That's funny. So the first time, this this first incident here, um, he puts the key into the lock. It goes in smoothly, flawlessly. It was, it was a perfect lock, a perfect key. It went in beautifully. 
whatever. Uh, but then he he subconsciously takes the key out and puts it back in his pocket and he starts heading back. But and something that he kind of thought about when they were given the first initial tour was he looked at the the fire extinguisher on the wall and it was one of those it's one of the ones where it's a hose and it's not the chemical ones in the in the red can it's the hose ones that's attached to the plumbing and he thought it reminded him of a snake so now he's seeing it again and it's kind of scaring him because it once again reminds him of a snake and as he's walking back to the stairs because he has to walk toward it the first kind of layer of it falls off onto the ground and it scares him and he's like oh he's trying to rationalize it but it's not really working so he's walking up to it thinking oh man it's gonna move it's gonna move it's gonna move and he jumps over it and here's an interesting thing i don't know if this is gonna come back to anything or not but he jumps over it he feels like it kind of moves towards to follow him but he also feels like in the effort of jumping over it and keep in mind he's like five years old so he's probably like three three and a half feet tall um he feels like the top of his hair brushes the ceiling but he's not sure if that's actually something that happened or if that's just kind of the heat of the moment making him feel things now i don't know if that's something that's important or not but i want to throw it out there all the same i don't think danny is some olympic uh triple jumper or anything like that uh and oh 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 just had a thought um in the doctor's office when he's talking uh, to the to, to Wendy and Jack, and they're talking about Danny, and they're kind of talking about how receptive he is to all of these things, the doctor says that I feel like the next thing you're gonna tell me is that he can levitate. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know if that's pertinent or not. Just like I don't know if it's pertinent that the mentioning that it, Danny's isn't sure if he felt like he brushed the ceiling or not with that jump, despite being a five year old. But I just want to throw that out there. I just made that connection, too. I'm not saying Danny can levitate. But, like, I just want to get that out there. Because it's just two things that kind of stuck out to me. And now that I think about it, are coming together, possibly, to make sense together. I just want to get that out there. I don't know if it matters or not. We'll see, I guess. But I, it's just it's something that stuck out to me. And I just wanted to mention it. Um, that is very interesting. It could be nothing. I could just be trying to search for something from nothing. But all the same, just a cool thing to, to think about. Um, so, uh, yeah, he jumps over it, and he's running back to the stairs, and now he can hear it slithering after him because now it is basically turned into a snake. And he's kind of getting that that vertigo effect to where he feels like every step he takes closer to the stairs, the stairs are getting a step further away from him and is just kind of like ah stuck in the kind of terror of the situation and um he makes it to the stairs finally and he gets brave enough to turn around and it's exactly where he saw it last it hasn't moved at all it's still just sitting on the floor and i feel like this is once again a situation to where it's like i mentioned it earlier with the wasp's nest where it's like the, the hotel is doing these things to kind of mess with them um to where the one time Jack didn't think to prepare for wasps, there were wasps. Danny's sitting there, essentially, like, expecting this to happen. He's, like, he's scared of it. He's like, oh, this is like a snake. The snake's going to come and get me. He jumps over it and runs away because he's afraid of it. And what does he hear? The snake coming after him. So, but when he looks, it's not, it's still on the ground. It's this hotel messing with these expectations. And for Jack, it was the sudden lapse of expectation and for Danny, it was the presence of expectation. 
Mm. So like that's kind of what I mean where it's like it's kind of messing with their with their predispositions towards things. Um that's it's just ah it's, it's good it's good writing. It's very good writing. It's very very tense situations. So yeah, that was the hose incident. Woo, spooky. Woo. Um but I feel like it's important to keep in mind all the same. It's just the hotel building up the tension. And so the penultimate thing I want to talk about, and by all means, if you want to add to anything, stop me at any time, because I feel like I'm talking a lot here. Um, no, no, I, I think you're doing a good job here. Uh, yeah, the penultimate thing I want to bring up uh, is the top, the topiary incident. And this is when uh, Danny and Wendy are leaving to go to Sidewinder for like one last time before the snow comes in. And that's when they have their conversation in the car. Jack is supposed to be trimming the hedges of the topiary. And so he does the bunny a little bit. And it's it's very minor what he needs to do. He needs to really just kind of fix a little bit of what's going on with the rabbit and the dog. The lions look and the buffalo look kind of fine. So, like, whatever. Uh, so he does the, the rabbit. He kind of gives it a little bit of a trim. He's talking to himself. He's making crummy jokes. Just being a bit weird. Just very, very weird. And as he's inspecting his work, I think that's just the thing that people have to do with, like, the, with the. I, I think it just, that's an uh, example of the isolation already starting to set in, you know, because there are, because like the, what he's doing is like, he's doing jokes and bits essentially for people that aren't there, you know, yeah. like he's. It, it's I, I think that's that's this is like and, and it, during the uh, the Danny. Um, uh, the Danny and Wendy passage earlier, uh, or I guess contemporary with this, um, they they mentioned the Donner Party uh, again, and that's kind of I think that's that's kind of what what we're what he's really seeding here is like this isolation, and this this getting a little, uh, or it's starting to affect them already essentially. I'm gonna call it now. And- um, I don't know if it's gonna be Wendy's first interaction with the hotel but one of wendy's interactions with the hotel i'm calling it now i'm, I'm calling my shot i'm pointing out into right field or whatever it was um wendy is going to have an incident where she goes into the freezer and she's going to see what she thinks is human carcasses instead of the actual meat that they have that you know what i think they might be onto something because she keeps that that the, the idea of the donner party is something that 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 continues to uh, to weigh on her. Yeah. So it, I think you might be onto something. It may not be her walking in the kitchen and seeing like you know human bodies hanging from hooks or something like that, but something to do with the meat that they eat at some point. Maybe it's the Thanksgiving turkey. Maybe it'll be in the Thanksgiving turkey because Halloran made a point to mention the turkey that they got for Thanksgiving, and we haven't hit Thanksgiving yet. We're in like early November at this point. Um. So maybe it's gonna be when that happens. Maybe she's gonna accidentally ruin the turkey because of this. But at some point, I'm calling it now, the food, the meat that they have, she's going to see it as human flesh because of her concern about the Donner Party that has been ever-present and keeps coming back around. Her thing is going to be cannibalism. It's going to be the Donner Party. She's going to mistake the food that they have for human flesh, and it's going to freak her out. That's going to be her incident, or at least and, one of you them. Know, with, with Jack being the loose cannon that he is, um, maybe, you know, the... the um, if she does ruin the turkey or, or something like that, that could, could lead to him having having uh, this one of those episodes where either, it could even be the breakthrough moment where where you really that it, 
in every in a lot of like stories obviously but also in just interpersonal relationships there can sometimes be a moment where there's like no real coming back from that yeah you know what i mean this that could be that moment um for them so i don't know that's an interesting idea let's I, let's uh let's watch that one in, yeah in the, this next upcoming part so yeah i don't know how it's going to come up but i'm feeling very confident that her episode is going to have to deal with cannibalism and the donner party it's i just i don't think i'm being revelation like re- revelatory or anything here like there's so many things the donner party has come up multiple times it just feels obvious that's her big fear of being up there it was her big fear when they were driving up and she was thinking about it it's come back up on the radio i feel like this is just me picking up the clues that's that king has placed not even like subtly it hasn't been subtle so like i feel like this is just a very like obviously maybe maybe this is a um, a red herring too it could be a red herring but that's just kind of how i feel um anyways so he he's trimming the the the, the bunny he, he admires his work and instead of moving on he decides to just kind of play around in the playground uh he's just goofing off uh just kind of coming to terms with his his lack of youth and and i guess wondering where that went <laughs> reminiscing about his terrible father who he kind of liked i guess for some reason and well i he, mean look at danny fair enough um and he feels embarrassment because he feels like his little his little like shtick of making jokes to nobody that are really unfunny has been noticed and he hears something, and he turns around, and he's like, oh, I don't know what's going on. But then he notices, eventually, it takes him a while, <laughs> but he realizes that the bunny, who was standing on its hind legs, is now on all fours. The dog that was in a begging position is now in, like, a walking position. The lions have now moved in such a way that they are blocking the path. And he's like, whoa, that's weird. And we're having a situation. It's almost like a... um. If there's any uh, any Doctor Who fans, uh, the Weeping Angels kind of situation, to where as he's looking away to like catch uh, the movement of one, the one that's no longer in his field of view is now moving closer towards him, and it's like it's such a great, it's so it's such a well written scene. It's just, and it's also a great trope. I, I I love that trope. Yeah, when it's done like, well, it's very very good. Like the uh, it just. Just that, that sort of the primal fear that you can't you can't look away. I don't know. Like, like they, that was used to great effect in the... Um, I don't mean to derail us here, but the Resident Evil um, uh, Village DLC. Like, it just... Oh, yeah. Like, it, that does a great job of, like, portraying um, the, the sort of the, the, the fear and the helplessness you feel. And, like, that just the strong desire to not look away. It's, uh, it's, 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 I don't know. It, to me, it's just conceptually a very interesting um uh horror trope yeah that was uh in terms of the the shadow of rose dlc that was the sequence where when it started happening i'm like oh it's a weeping angels thing that's rad and then when i'm like and i I wasn't expecting there to be like six or seven so i like died (laughs) because one just kind of was behind me and i had no idea because i was my first time going through it i'm like oh we're playing this game okay i guess to the point to where like by the time i was done with it it went from me being like, oh, wow, what a great use of this, to me being like, uh, this is going to be frustrating on repeat playthroughs, isn't it? <laughs> so my, 
it was very well done and this is this is not me saying that it was a bad sequence in the game but it was i i very much went from this is very cool to being tired of it by the time i was done with it to where i was like oh, i don't it it really creeps me out it just just like by the end i was just like oh i was just so happy to be out of there <laughs> yeah it just it, it just is a great great trope yeah i was trying to be very cute with it too and speed run it so i was dying multiple times because i was like i, said, I was being cute with it and just being like haha dancing around you mom and then getting killed because i wasn't doing it correctly <laughs> so i was like i guess getting a little frustrated i i don't know i it never scared me i think i think stuff like that's cool when it, I, I know a lot of things will scare people like that, but for me, I just find if it's well done, I don't get scared by it. I just, I, I just enjoy it because I'm like, ah, oh, nice, sweet. Which same thing in in Bienvenido in the in the base game. I know Resident Evil Eight. Let's not get too far off track here. But with the the the, the Rita's fetus times ten, uh, when that happened, I'm like, oh, nice. Which I know a lot of people they were like, that was the scariest part of the game for me, and I was just like, oh, I love that they did that. That's really cool. What a great sequence. So um, that's, that's how I approach good horror is I just, I get excited by it. I don't get scared by it. Yeah. It, it depends. I mean, to, I, to say scared is, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to put this. I don't want to sound like I'm trying to flex and be like, yeah, I never get scared, but it's, it's just like, it's not like a, a sense of mortal terror. Like I actually feel like something bad is going to happen to me. But it, it's 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 a I, I can feel like this sort of exhilaration and like a almost a sense of nervousness. It's like when it when it's really well done, and that's something that actually kind of get uh, in this book as well. Um, in this in I, in this next I guess or last portion that we're gonna you're gonna talk about. But we you can finish up the with the the topiary animals. Yeah. So yeah, good good horror. Just you know this is this is like you said it's a it's a common trope, but when it's done right, it's very good. Um, so yeah, he eventually just kind of hits his breaking point. He closes his eyes and he's just like, "This isn't real." Ah! And then when he opens his eyes, everything's back to normal, and he just kind of walks past it, just like, uh, "That was weird." Whatever. Ugh, I'm not scared of you. And that's just kind of the end of that situation. Which a funny little thing that happens that I just just got a little chuckle out of me was when they come home. When he's like, "Wow, great job at the topiary, Jack," and he's like, "Yup, sure." Because all he did was the rabbit. But, yeah, so that was Jack's incident, his second incident with the hotel, the first being the wasp. And now we get to our final bit here, the second incident with Danny in the hotel, which is, once again, room 217. So Danny has come back to room 17, 217. Um, he once again has taken the, the, the key, the master key. And a fun little thing here that he did that I, I, I just I greatly appreciate is he picked up the hose, put it back, was poking it, and being like, yeah, yeah, you you cheap prick. Yeah, do it, you. Do it. You won't. You won't. Which is which is funny because that's that's a, a phrase that he's picked up from his dad. It's supposed to – It's it, there, there's a, some little a slight comedy there because that's a phrase that uh, Jack uses quite a bit. Yeah. I, I just love that he's just goading it. He's just like, ah, you suck. You, you're, you're trash. <laughs> I'm gonna throw some dirt in your eye. You know, just, just like really, just, just shitting on a hose. I, it's just so funny. Just this five year old poking it and whispering, "Ha ha, got you." See, like I don't know, something about that was just really funny to me, and it's just so on point. Like I, I can absolutely see a five year old doing that. So he finally, and I guess this is a good, as good of a time as any to talk about something that King does with the writing in this book. That, um, sorry, can I can I interject here really quickly? Yeah. Just before all of this happens, 
this is when the snow the the real snow comes down and they're at this point from this point on through the rest of the the novel they are essentially well as as far as i know from this point on through the rest of the novel they are essentially now stuck at the hotel yeah the and true like, isolation phone, has begun. phone service has gone down all they have now is the radio yeah so now um he's he's back at the door to 217 and i feel like this is as good a place as any to bring up this this thing that that king does with his writing in this book uh that i just find so fascinating uh is he will have the character's thoughts interject the prose and it's so interesting how he does it because he'll be like having because this is third person omniscient um how this is written um and so we're in the characters' minds, and as I said in the last one, he jumps from from POV to POV seamlessly, to where we'll be having a paragraph with Danny, and just as the scene progresses, now we're in Wendy's ha- head, and we only we have these very subtle clues that that kind of go because it'll go from Daddy did this to Jack did this or something like that, and it's just a really great little way of having done it. Like we said last week, it's very hard to do. And King basically is the exception that proves the rule for things like that. But it's similarly to, to that with him interjecting the character's thoughts into the prose. Um, you'll, you'll, we'll be having uh, an explanation of their feelings or the situations and it'll cut off mid sentence. It'll be a paragraph break and in bracket in, 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 in parentheses and in italics, we'll have an interjecting thought. And then after that, it will be the rest of the sentence that was broken off and a new paragraph. And it's so striking. It's so visually striking. It's so like it's a major pace breaker to the to the to the um, to the reading to the flow of the of the paragraph. But it works so well. It's very manic, and it just I, I feel like I mostly see it with Jack and Danny. I, it's probably happened a couple of times with Wendy, probably multiple times with Wendy for all I can remember, but I feel like it's super, super prevalent with Jack and Danny, and it's just such a great little thing that King does that just really adds to the book. I can't really ex- explain it very well, artistically. It adds a lot of naturalism to it, right? Like you, When you think about your own, or when I think about my own um, thought patterns, a lot of the times it's it's like, thought 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 and then there can be like like this interjectory like where'd that come from kind of situation like and like especially yeah. if it's something that's like a very visceral like or and that's that's what it what it is most of the time when uh, when when king is employing is the character coming to a sudden realization or sense uh, having a sudden sensation you know something like that you know yeah. it's it's it, and it that it adds a lot of like a, a naturalism i think to it that that makes it feel very um you know you you feel very it makes it feel organic and and real yeah and it's something that comes up a lot here in this section as well and in the previous time he was he was thinking about going into 217 and it's just it's such a great way to have an extra level inside the character's heads because we're already in third person omniscient but to have have that extra level of thought that kind of like jarring breaking intrusive thought it's just such a great little device that that king uses to just really flesh these characters out in very natural and subtle ways i just it's great i love it it happened it's been happening the entire book and it's it's a really big way of how the, this scene is written uh 
and how Danny is interacting with 217. So I feel like this was a good time to kind of bring it up as a whole. But yeah, just just very cool. Very cool. So um, he finally opens the door and goes in, and it's just a normal room. Uh, there's a great little... This is such a well-written passage, just as a whole. Yeah, I'm a major Stephen King fan. I'm going to be a lot more, I guess, fanboy about it. Uh, I get not Maybe not fanboy, but I'm going to be a lot more receptive to things that I like and a lot more forgiving for things that other people don't because I'm a really big Stephen King fan. I'll admit that right now. Um, except for the first Dark Tower book for some reason. Uh, but I just, I really love how this is written. Just the simple action of him walking up to the mirror across the room, putting his hand on the mirror, and letting it drop down is just a very cool... It's, it's written in such a way that Danny... It feels like Danny is doing it subconsciously. Like he's spectating himself doing this. It's like almost like he is a, a passenger in his own body. And it's, I don't know, it's just, it's very cool. It was a very fun passage to read. I'm like, damn, this is just really well written. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that was very well written. And I don't know, kind of along the lines of like, you know, it, it does seem like when he does go through these um, fugue states, these trances that do seem to be sort of almost an out-of-body experience to him. So I think there's something to it, you know, it's like, like the, he, when he's, shining it's almost like he's like i don't know quite how to say it but like he's he's like being subject or like like he's he his at least his physical form is acting in in its in a way that's not fully under his control if that makes sense yeah but just i don't know i just i really liked how that whole bit was written but yeah he goes into the bathroom and this is once again kind of playing with expectations here to where he sees the uh, the bathtub, the curtains there, and I think he thinks about it like, uh, oh man, it was some some kind of like how he's he's gonna pull the curtain back and he's just kind of expecting to see just a tub, and he pulls it back and there's a dead woman in ice icy water, and she's staring at him, and boy, what a what a what a thing to do. I I, I okay. Have you ever, and I think, I, I would like to think this might be a common thing, and it's not a fear, but it's almost like a paranoia, like a, an instinctual paranoia, or maybe even just a fear of the unknown that is, like 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 I said, it's like a primal kind of thing, to where if you go into the bathroom and, like, the curtain is drawn over the tub, do you ever just, like, pull the curtain back or just peek in and look? Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just like the well you know it's it's a psychological thing it's the, that that's the the place where you know in your mind you're supposed to be you're you're at your most vulnerable essentially and you're supposed to be alone um and yet you know so so there when there's this area that you see and that you you you're not able to fully like I guess have full full uh, understanding of the situation. There, there's something in the back of your mind that triggers like there's no one that's supposed to be in here. Theoretically, someone could be back there, so I'm going to look. You know, I, and I I don't do it like every time, but there there've been definitely times in my life, you know, <laughs> where I'm like, uh, let me let me just check back this. What, what's what's going on back there? Yeah, 
And I don't know. It's just that's one of those weird things. And like I said, I think it's a primal kind of thing that has kind of stayed with humanity. And I think it kind of comes from that fear of the unknown. And you see that big curtain and it makes the tub now suddenly an unknown. So I don't know. I, I, I just it kind of draws me back to that kind of feeling when Danny does that. And of course, he gets what uh, he gets what no person has ever gotten. I hope. In that there is something actually there when he draws the curtain. And it's this naked woman that's staring at him that has long since been dead in this icy water. And it's just, it's such a well-described moment that I can just very vividly picture this woman. And this corpse who has been dead for a long time, he really stresses that, that she's been dead for a long time, starts to get out of the tub and you can hear the ice cracking and breaking as she gets out. And it's like, wow, what a scene. And so Danny runs away. The door is now shut. And he's instead, and he's, he's, he knows that the door is unlocked. But instead of trying to open the door, he's banging on the door. And he has the, this moment where he remembers. And he gets this moment of clarity, this calming zen kind of phase, where he remembers Dick Halloran's statement. It's like pictures. Nothing here can hurt you. And he's he has his eyes closed, and he's like, "Okay, this is just a, this is just a vision. Nothing can hurt me. I'll be okay." And then he feels the hands close around his throat, and he turns around and opens his eyes and sees the purple face staring at him. And that's where the part ends. That was that was such good good uh, great misdirection by by King by having Halloran be extremely wrong <laughs> and Halloran if you remember was afraid that he might be wrong he was trying to convince himself as he was leaving that he was right yeah so now we can't even trust Halloran who was struggling to try and have justification to trust himself in the first place and it's like oh ah. such instances of people of, of times when, when you when you have to convince yourself of that you're right about something you're, you're probably not. <laughs> yeah, it's man. This man. is just it's a it's such a very 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 well written book. It's just it's 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 doing everything right. I feel. I guess you could theoretically say the same about the wasps if we were if we we're to take the wasps as a, a some sort of manifestation of the house. But like th- this is like this like putting it beyond the shadow of a doubt um, was such a great moment, and it just. That's what I was saying um, earlier. Like, like I was just. It took a lot of uh, fortitude to not just keep reading ahead because I w- had to just sit in that discomfort uh, when I finished reading yesterday, waiting for uh, the session today, and it's just like, oh, what a, what a, what a uh, terrible place to end, <laughs> but in a, in the best possible way. Yeah. So yeah, King is the king of cliffhangers so good um but yeah that that should wrap us up for part three uh next we have parts four there's part four and then i think we'll we'll be wrapping it up with part five but man uh i'm just i'm really enjoying this book um lots of lots of interesting stuff here lots of interesting sort of like from from the standpoint of like it's it's just a very engaging book to read but also there's just a lot of very interesting sort of like metaphor and like 
I don't know. It's just it's just a really particularly engaging book. I feel like it's safe to say that at his best, King proves that he is one of the best living authors. And maybe even more than that, maybe one of the best modern authors. Yeah, he's he's really good. I I I'm generally I, I know this has been like a long running controversy, and I think we even alluded to it a little bit the first time we talked about this. But I I, I don't know. I am I'm very pro King, just just generally. Maybe not everything that he's written is like like high art per se, but like I don't know. It's it's always just very engaging, and I think this one is is particularly it it is artful, and it's as well as like very engaging and just. Uh, just just can't just just can't get enough of the book it's just it's really good i i think and i might be off base here a little bit but my my understanding of it i have not read every single king book far from it uh but i feel like what it is is he has just astronomical highs like just beyond what authors some authors could even dream of and because of that his lows are seen as like craterous lows but i feel like his median is still top tier for most other authors you know i think that's an interesting um idea there it's like the 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 dangers of high expectations like once you reach those the the, your high your high highs when somebody's comparing it against like your like your peak moments and it comes up wanting you know then then it's people are more likely to to really dogpile on it and in, in in a way that's somewhat unfair, really, because it's it's it may not be as bad as they're thinking, but their the absolute scale is has shifted to accommodate not necessarily the the length and breadth of a genre or literature writ large, but you're having to compete with yourself every time. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, and King's King's catalog is just remarkable it's like 50 plus books so many novellas like he, he's written so much for so long that like yeah not everything is going to hit the same quality as the shining or it or eleven twenty two sixty three or salem's lot or pet cemetery you know like his classics his true absolute classics not not all of them are going to hit those highs but like you know think about your favorite band do you like every single song they've written? Do you like every single album that they've released? Or are there a couple of things here and there where you're like, ah, that kind of sucked, but it's whatever. I still love the band because they're a great band. I just didn't like this song or this album. Like, I can I can definitely say that for my favorite bands. Absolutely. But it's fine. It doesn't mean that I hate the band now because of that low point and it doesn't diminish their high point. It's just, you know, they're humans, not everything that they make, artists in general, not everything they make is going to be a grand slam or even a home run or even a base hit to keep this metaphor up. But it's fine, and we shouldn't have expectations for every single swing to be a grand slam. Yeah, and this is something that I've, I've talked about before, but I just, I like the idea of just letting an artist be an artist. You know, let them, uh, you know, organically explore their ideas and explore their interests because I, I think a lot there's a massive danger um, of like becoming too reactive to the feedback too reactive to you, you never want to get into the, the position where as an artist you are 
playing the hits. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, that is a fate that almost every, that everybody falls into eventually. But it's just like you know, it just it is kind of antithetical to being your most artistic self. Yeah, and I I feel like that's something that people kind of uh get get kind of they kind of lose perspective on with King. And the simple fact of the matter is that dude's written so many things that there's gonna be some bad in there. There's gonna be some mediocre in there. But that does not take away from the greats, and I think The Shining, so far, is definitely one of the greats. And its reputation is being one of the greats, and I've, I'm feeling very... My expectations have been met, and possibly even been exceeded. Going into this book, I, you know, I, I've seen the movie, I know the reputation of the book, I know the reputation of King, I know how I feel about King going in, so maybe I have a little bit of a predisposition in favor of him but i mean this book is hitting it for me this is a great book and if i go and read the tommy knockers and i'm like man that book sucked or if i go ahead and reread the first dark tower and i'm like man this book still sucks it's not going to change my feelings <laughs> on the stand or it or or the shining or misery or you know the, the other ones that i've read that i'm like these are great books i love these books these are fantastic so you know it's it is what it is not everything's gonna hit, and that's fine. Yeah. But anyways, that'll do it for The Shining. Uh, so yeah, next time we'll cover part four. And I'm so looking forward to it. Oh my god, man. Stephen King is one of my I, favorites, and he just continues to, to show me why with each book of his I'm, I read. And I know we, I've said this probably the last several of the last books that we've read, but this might be my favorite book that we've covered at least so far we'll see how it you know how we we land on it on the back stretch but i just just like page to page this is this is just really really doing it for me i'm i'm really happy we read this yeah i'm not going to get ahead of myself and I'll, I'll 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 try and say how i feel about it in relative to the our 2023 catalog hopefully at by the end of the final episode i don't i don't want to put the cart in front of the horse just yet which is something that i kind of did with Jurassic Park but it's okay I, I think I still kind of feel the same about it now as I did by the end of of, of July so that's yeah. fair don't do we don't want another situation where you're, you're getting getting bombed on the beaches of Costa Rica yeah that wasn't fun but um aloe vera is a joy well thank you everybody for listening uh once again this is the sad boys book club uh I'm Daniel I'm Dusty and uh, looking forward to seeing you next time. Bye. Take care.